In 2 Samuel 5, we will watch David make Jerusalem his capital. Jerusalem is an amazing city. If you ever get a chance to go there, a million people are packed into this small place. And the reason is, is because it's a special city. It's a place that God said he would write his name forever. We'll look at the city of the great king today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. This is an article from a US Today, USA Today reporter. He says, there's one scene that repeats itself night after night, mile after mile in this city, Las Vegas, suddenly dotted with memorials. Cheerful people strolling down the strip pass a small patch of candles and flowers and they stop. Their faces tighten, they shuffle forward. Sometimes they glance down the Las Vegas Boulevard toward the hotel where a few days earlier, a man leaned out of broken windows and shot 58 people to death at a concert. Then they move on, bound for the lights of another casino. In those brief moments in between, the solemn stares, the heads slowly shaking, the quiet murmurings, in which the Las Vegas Strip finds itself now almost one week after the deadliest mass shooting in modern American history. Pain has seeped into the infrastructure of this place, hiding in the cracks and showing itself only in small bursts. The casinos are open, but extra security guards wave metal detectors and search random pieces of luggage. The oversized LED screens still make night feel like day. But instead of showing casino ads, they all read Vegas Strong. Bored-looking salespeople still hawk tickets, but demand for theater shows has dropped. People still drink and shout, but then they look all around almost apologetically. They can't explain it to themselves. Dottie Murphy said as she watched the family stare at a makeshift memorial, then scurry around to see the famed Bellagio Fountain show. They're feeling guilty for having fun because how many people are in the hospital? How many people died for no reason? Laughter is yet to return. People in this city of misconnections are reluctant even to speak to each other, unwilling to stumble across the questions that have all been, they've all been silently asking themselves. Why did this man kill these people? Why here? And how should one properly mourn the dead? in quiet reflection, absorbing the solemnity of the moment or by embracing what had brought them all to Las Vegas in the first place. Nobody seemed to know the answer. The American routine of mass shootings is too uh, new to be fully understood by psychologists and sociologists. Early studies have shown it can take up to 16 months uh, for most people to recover from even mildly traumatic events. But there is no way to know how long it takes a city to heal. That's just a portion of an article from USA Today, and that those thoughts have been repeated by many who are writing in the aftermath of this tragedy. Jesus was approaching the ancient city of Jerusalem when he was alive here on the planet. He was approaching during a major festival of the Jews called the Passover. It actually was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it moved into the Feast of Passover. It included the Feast of First Fruits. 
And Jesus was going to present himself in this city as the Passover lamb. And the city was stirred. Josephus tells us millions of people perhaps descended on this major holiday for Israel. The marketplace was, was churning with activity. People were you know, exchanging money in the temple courts. They were buying sacrificial animals to receive into their household. But Jesus was coming to pre- preach a message that the people largely were not ready to receive. He was going to present himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And at the end of that week, he was going to die for the sins of the world. And when he came in, you know, there was a lot of buzz about Jesus. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. There were many people following him. Probably, you know, mixed motives were there. And Jesus made the descent down the Mount of Olives, where you get a beautiful picture of Jerusalem. And as he descended the Mount of Olives, Luke 19 Dr. Luke tells us these words. This is Luke 19, 41. When he approached, he saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, Luke 19, 42, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace or for shalom, but now, Luke 19, 42, they have been hidden from your eyes. Jesus looked over a city celebrating the Passover celebrating him, and he wept over the city. Why did he weep? Jesus wept uh, twice in this week at the tomb of Lazarus and over the city of Jerusalem, and we could conjecture all kinds of things, but I think he wept because they did not understand the time of their visitation. Listen, they did not understand the things that make for true peace, and now They had been hidden from their eyes. They did not understand him. In fact, think about it. The city that he was riding into was his city. He was God in human flesh. That is the city in 2 Chronicles 33 that God said, I will write my name in Jerusalem forever. But it was the city that killed the prophets. It was the city that had been ravaged by the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. It was the city where blood has been spilled again and again and again. It has been the city of the Crusades, where people with noble intentions went there to save the motherland, to save that from what they uh, saw it as paganism or the wrong people having control over it. And Jesus looked at the city and he wept. And he gave a prophecy in Luke 19. It's not often considered, but this is what he said. The days shall come upon you, and he's predicting the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, when your enemies will uh, throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side, will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And he began, he entered the temple and began to cast out those who were selling. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you, you've made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. He went into the city. If you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 5, the city of God, and there he gave a prophecy which would be fulfilled probably about four decades later, Jesus died around 32, 33 AD. In 70 AD, the city fell to the ground. 
Roman legions came in there and the city laid in rubble for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is the city of God. You say, a place where God has written his name forever, has experienced these terrible tragedies over and over again? The answer is yes. The question is why? And I think we all deep down know the answer, don't we? The reason is because Israel had rejected God and his ways. And again and again and again, God would allow things to happen in the city to get their attention. He would often use foreign armies as a means of disciplining his own people. And again and again and again, things would happen in the city and people would go on with business as usual. And it will happen again. You know, God has written his name on this world. In fact, you belong to him. You've been made in his image. He's written his very law in your heart. But we spend much of our time as humans, let's face it, living apart from him, living separate from him. Our sin separates us from God, the Bible says, but Jesus came to bring us back to God, to bridge the gap back to God. King David, who is a shadow of the coming Messiah, the greater David, has now taken the throne of Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 5. All the tribes of Israel came to David. This is 2 Samuel 5.1 at Hebron, where he had originally set up his headquarters And they said, behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when King Saul, when Saul was king over us, 2 Samuel 5, 2, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel. You will be ruler, a ruler over Israel. What Israel needed was a shepherd. They had chosen a king that was handsome and tall. His name was Saul. He looked like the right guy for the job, but Saul had a problem. Saul could not obey God. David was a man after what? God's own heart. And God took him from shepherding sheep and brought him to shepherd his people Israel. He was the unexpected leader, though he was brave and courageous. And David would be the shepherd of God's people. What made David a man after God's own heart? I would say in some ways you have to think about God being a shepherd, and David having those shepherd-like qualities. We see the world right now today. Many people running around, they are like sheep without what? A shepherd. The world needs a shepherd, and we have a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. His name is Jesus. The question is, will you follow him? He says, my sheep know my voice, and they what? They follow me. That's what he wants. He wants us to follow him. All the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, verse 3. King David made a covenant with them before the Lord. At Hebron, they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in, notice, in Jerusalem, here's the city of God, and this is the, the mention that will now, Jerusalem will really take center stage for the life of Israel from this point forward. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So now you can see Israel and Judah is the 12 tribes coming together, unified under the king, under King David. He's brought unity. They've recognized that he is the rightful king. David is God's shepherd. And they have now made a covenant with him under David. Now the king and his men, 2 Samuel 5, verse 6, went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. 
Now, if you're interested, the name Jerusalem means teaching of peace. Hey, folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth. And one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and check out the devotion today. God bless you. In some ways, you have to think about God being a shepherd and David having those shepherd-like qualities. We see the world right now today. Many people running around, they are like sheep without what? A shepherd. The world needs a shepherd. And we have a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. His name is Jesus. The question is, will you follow him? He says, my sheep know my voice. And they what? They follow me. That's what he wants. He wants us to follow him. All the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, verse 3. King David made a covenant with them before the Lord. At Hebron, they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in, notice, in Jerusalem, here's the city of God, and this is the, the mention that will now Jerusalem will really take center stage for the life of Israel from this point forward. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So now you can see Israel and Judah is the 12 tribes coming together, unified under the king, under King David. He's brought unity. They've recognized that he is the rightful king. David is God's shepherd. And they have now made a covenant with him under David. Now the king and his men, 2 Samuel 5, verse 6, went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Now if you're interested, the name Jerusalem means teaching of peace or founded peaceful. It is the city of peace. When you think of the word Jerusalem, S-A-L-E-M is at the end. The word for peace in Hebrew is the word shalom. So this is the city of peace, the city of God, a city that is supposed to be a place where people find peace, but they had found anything but that for much of the history of Jerusalem. Would you agree? You read some of the history of Jerusalem and you think, man, war after war after war. The city first appears in Genesis 14, to my knowledge, or at least reference to it is, is made. And here's what's happening. Abram has just gone after to rescue Lot. And he's gone and defeated some kings led by Chedorlaomer. He was the founder of Cheddar Cheese. Um, no, I'm just kidding. He, he really wasn't. But, and so um, he, he wins the victory with 318 trained men from his household. He rescues Lot, his nephew, brings them back. Uh, bring, you know, is, is able to save a lot of people and, and including somehow the king of Sodom. And in Genesis 14, the king of Sodom meets Abram, I'm sure, in gratitude. He wants to offer Abram some things. And then all of a sudden, this mysterious figure appears. He's written about in the book of Hebrews. And his name is Melchizedek. You remember him? 
Some people say Melchizedek. Who? His name is Melchizedek. And he's this mysterious king priest. And he's a king priest over an area called the area of Salem. Uh, Theologians agree. He's the king priest, an early king priest at the time of Abram over what would become the city of Jerusalem. And you remember what Abram does? He, uh, Melchizedek comes and offers Abram bread and wine, two interesting things that we see later in the ultimate king priest, Jesus, at the Last Supper. And Abram gives him a tenth of the spoils. Think with me. Melchizedek is the ruler, king priest over Jerusalem. And Abram, the father of the Jewish nation, offers him a tithe. Here's a consideration. Do you think the tithe that Abram gave Melchizedek was a sort of down payment for the future headquarters of the nation? Do you think that before Jerusalem ever took center stage in the life of Israel, Abram was in some way giving an offering for the future of what this city would represent to the Jews? Just a thought, but kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? And later on, King David, the man after our God's own heart, would come to this city, to this place called Jerusalem. You will remember that this city also takes on prominence because there's another scene in the book of Genesis where Abraham now, his name's been changed, is told to take his son, his only son whom he loves, and take him up to a mountain that God would show him. Now, if you've ever studied this passage before, you know that the mountain that God directed Abraham to, along with Isaac, the son of promise, was called Mount Moriah. By the way, Mount Moriah is Jerusalem. In fact, there are those who have studied the archaeology and the history of the land that believe that where Isaac was potentially going to be offered by Abraham because God stopped him is the same spot where 2,000 years later, another father gave his son. But this time, that son of promise, the hammer would come down. He would die for the sins of the world. In this case, God stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son. And it said there in Genesis 22, I think it's verse 14, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And it was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who would die for the sins of the world. Isaac is a type of Christ. Abraham is a type of the father who so loved the world that he gave his son. And Isaac's name, interestingly enough, means laughter. And Abraham thought he was going to have to kill his laughter, kill the son of promise. I believe Abraham believed that if he had to kill him, God would raise him from the dead, but God stopped him. And on this mountain, it was said, The Lord would provide. It will be provided. And God did provide. He provided the answer to all that, all that hurts our hearts. All of our ills, all of our griefs, all of our sorrows were laid upon him. And David is now going to go to this area and he's going to relocate his capital to Jerusalem. In the recent history of our own world, The Jews finally recaptured control of Jerusalem. It happened, by the way, in 1967. In 70 AD, the Jews lost control of Jerusalem. They regained it in 1967. I won't ask you for a show of hands, but some of you were born before 1967. So it's happened in your lifetime. Something, by the way, that many people thought would never happen. 
that Israel now has control of Jerusalem. And President Trump has been talking about moving our embassy to Jerusalem. But you all know there's been a lot of controversy in this area of the world. And I would just tell you, if you're interested in prophecy, keep your eye on Jerusalem. Because it's going to be at the center of the world when the last days unfold. In fact, Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling for all the nations. It will become a burdensome stone. It's always been the center of controversy. But here, David, who is a shadow of the coming Messiah, he goes to Jerusalem. His first official act as king, verse 6, is to go with his men to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. They were the inhabitants of the land. And they said to David, you shall not come in here, but the blind and lame shall turn you away, thinking David cannot enter here. Now, this language is a little bit difficult, but I'll say this to you. Here's what I think is going on. The city of Jerusalem was in many ways an impenetrable city, the way it's up on a mountain and so forth. It was really only accessible from the north. So anybody who was up there at this time, and at this time it was the Jebusites, thought that just because of the topography of the land, any foreign army trying to come in, all they would need is the blind and the lame to stop them. That's, that's kind of how they put it. They weren't putting people down in that sense, but they were just saying, the blind and the lame could defeat you because it's no big deal. This city is, the city is impenetrable. And so when the Jebusites heard that David was coming up, they said it shouldn't be a problem. They were overconfident, and they thought ah, it's going to be easy to deal with David and his desires to take this city. And so here's what happens now. And I, I, want, I want to just say to you for a second here before we move on. Uh, as you look at the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, some people look at this, and they look at the Bible account, and they say, what right does David have to go up and take this spot? Who does he think he is to, you know, the, the Jebusites are there. You could say, it's their land. What's he doing going into their land? Everybody turn in your Bibles to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. So this is the chapter where God makes an unconditional covenant with Abram. He's made an incredible promise that he'll have all these descendants, that they will outnumber the stars of the sky, Genesis 15. God cuts the covenant uh, it's all based upon God. In fact, Abram's asleep when all of this is taking place. And here's what God says. This is Genesis 15, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, Genesis 15, 18. And he said, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Kadmonite, the Hittite, this is verse 20, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, the Amorite, the Coronite, oh, I'm sorry, no, that's, a, that's the Canaanite, the Girgashite, everybody mark this, and what? The Jebusite. Now, who was in the land of Jerusalem? The Jebusites. God had made a promise, get this, way back when God made this unconditional covenant with Abram, who then would birth Isaac, and then Jacob, and Jacob would be renamed Israel. Early on, he said, look, you've got this land. It's given to your descendants. Look at verse 18, Genesis 15. It's from the river of Egypt as far as the great river Euphrates. And then he names all these people groups that are there. And he says, look, you're going to have all of it, including the area of the Jebusites. Now, another scripture to your right is the book of Exodus, the next book, 23. 
Exodus 23, Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're going to take the promised land. We all know that that didn't go very well, right? They circled the desert for 40 years and would not obey God. Exodus 23, look at verse 23. God says, my angel, 23, 23, will go before you, bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and who? The Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces. So David, if you go back to 2 Samuel, now to your right, is going to take this land of Jerusalem. By the way, he's going to do what Israel failed to do. I think if you study the book of Joshua, you will find that the Israelites had some success in this area, but did not fully conquer this area and and really didn't even fully conquer the promised land. And we know why. Because they imbibed the ways of the people. They were enamored with idols and idolatry. They did not fully carry out what God said to do. And God had promised the land. It was the promised land. And by the way, it includes a huge area that's under debate right now. And David goes up. And David's going to do what Israel failed to do in many ways, also typifying Jesus who does for Israel what they failed to do. He becomes a light to the Gentiles. He's baptized in the Jordan, not for his own sake, but to retrace the fallen footsteps of Israel, to fulfill all righteousness, to die on the cross, to defeat the devil. And David, verse 7, captured the stronghold of Zion, 2 Samuel 5, 7. That is the city of David. This was the city's fortress or citadel. When you see stronghold of Zion there, perhaps the well-fortified city itself. Located on the southeastern ridge of later the city of Jerusalem, it was the ridge overlooking the Kidron Valley. It was originally known as Zion. So you'll notice in verse 7, it calls it the stronghold of Zion. A lot of you have read your Bibles and you, you wonder, what's with Zion and Jerusalem and Mount Zion and all these what seem to be interchangeable names for the same area? because the mountain was actually called, or at least a portion of it, was called Zion. You can reference uh, 1 Kings 8.1, the city of David, which is Zion. Zion will become a name that is mentioned often in the Psalms and prophets. This is partly because the name was taken and applied to the hill on the north side of the city of Solomon's day, where the temple was built. Mount Zion came to refer to the temple mount or Mount Moriah. This is all synonyms for the same area of the world. God always had his eye on this area. This is always a city that was part of his heart that he wanted to set up shop, if you will. And God's promises revolve around Zion. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals. And you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth, and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. 
You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.